Welcome to the West of North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. Tim, we just got done watching a really good soccer game, and now we have to like <laughs> shift gears and talk about a really crappy one. <laughs> I know. It's like, like, I was actually thinking about this. I like literally raced home from the bar to, to go here for podcasting, and all my mind was like, how am I going to talk about this last game? Well, just finishing watching a really good, uh, you know, Sounders win against New York FC. So, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll find a way. I'm not super excited about talking about that game, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll get through it somehow. We do what we have to do. I, I sometimes feel like there's more to talk about with with losses, but I don't like talking about it. Yeah. So oh, I have plenty to talk about about that game, but I don't <laughs> want to talk about any of it. Yeah. It, it it comes with some pain. You have to re- relive it. Yeah. Um, but it always helps if you have a drink in hand. Uh, yeah. So what do you what do you have this week? I'm kind of nervous about this because, as mentioned, we were both watching the uh, the the Sounders game. So I had a couple beers at the bar, and now I'm drinking a coconut double IPA from Structures what? Brewing. Yeah. <laughs> it is coming at eight point three. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, Are you sure you want to do this? I just cracked it open. So I feel like I have to. You're committed now. I'm committed now. So if, if by the end of the episode, I'm slurring and making no sense, we know why. Um, no judgment. Let, let me uh, take a, a, a sip of it. I generally like uh, Structures Brewing. They're great. Oh, wow. Huh. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So it's like, they they brew it with coconut flakes flakes in it and yeah it actually works it tastes like a I don't know like those uh cookies you would have with like coconut flakes on it you really get that toasted coconut flavor out of it it really hides a lot of the beer it's a beer that you maybe would hate or love because I know you hate fruit <laughs> beer yeah but but I'm, I'm, I'm I can be swayed. It's definitely a double IPA. Yeah. Like, no, it's interesting. I don't think it would be, it's generally not like my style of beer, but yeah. Okay. I buy it. I I feel like most coconut alcohol drinks tend to stray into the sunscreen flavor, (laughs) but this sounds like it maybe is more real, real flavored coconut instead of some fakey flavor. Yeah. It's definitely not sunscreen. It's definitely tropical. But it definitely has that like real like and toasted coconut, like very much like samosas would be actually samosas is a great one. Like it has that caramely beer flavor with the toasted coconut on top. So, I'm yeah. into it. I can, I, I can, I can wrap my head around that. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's generally not the one I'd go seek out. I got this as a gift from a friend and yeah, I like it. How about you? What are you drinking? I I'm back with my uh, uh, tart IPA again, Ooh. but I, I I have to have a follow up report because I've been I've been swayed by this beer. It's actually really good. <laughs> I didn't think I'd say that after like I, I I didn't dislike it the first time I tried it. I I thought it was okay, and now I I think I I might get this again in in the summer when it's a little warmer. Cause I think it's like a really good, um, kind of crisp light beer that actually has some kick to it. What made you, what, what made you change your mind? 
I think it was just having a second can of it at a different time. I like had it with some food and I was like, this is actually, it, it, it is a, it is a good, it's a solid IPA, but it, it's like very drinkable. Like I could, I've just felt like it was very, um, I don't know, just, ba- it, it's got a, a good balance for how tart it is. And even my wife kind of liked it, which is surprising because she doesn't usually like beer. I mean, she's usually like a cider person. So, yeah. um, but it's not cidery. I, you know, it's not so fruity that I would put it in the cider category or anything close to that, but is definitely it, palatable. Remind me, is it a hazy? Like it has it's, that? It's not a hazy. It's actually like really light in color and not, yeah, not hazy at all as far as it's, uh, look and I'd say it's got more bite to it than than the hazy like typically I kind of associate hazies with kind of being really smooth and doesn't have a lot of the uh hoppiness that I would expect from an IPA this has a little bit of the hoppiness but also combined with that fruit flavor so you get the tart on the on the front end and then you get a little bit of the uh bitterness on the back end well it kind of makes sense that uh cider drinkers would like that then because it has like a, a lot of those cider characteristics the tartness and then like the fruitiness on it so yeah but still still an IPA so hmm. I, I don't know it's a good combo I like it interesting just because I you know I drink a lot of IPAs so it's nice to have something that's a little bit different that isn't yeah. a hazy because that seemed to be about everything was going to be <laughs> yeah the, the brewery I'm at I'm sure I'll bring it in but we uh just put out a uh or not just we just put into the bright tank a uh belgian ipa that is a interesting okay. combination yeah because i really dislike belgians typically <laughs> yeah i can see that but it, i can I, I i can i can handle them but i think i just had my fill of of belgians once upon a time and i i maxed out yeah. What I found with it is it brings out like the orchard flavors of the IPA and it was like super piney. And this was again, not super carbonated off the bright tank. So it's probably going to be different once it comes from the top, but um, we'll, we'll talk more once I uh, bring it in for beer of the week. Yeah. I'm curious about that one. That one I might have to, I, I might need to have a taste to, you know, kind of wrap my head around that. Cause that, that sounds like a weird combo. And we just have to do a uh, actual live in-person show at some point. Yeah, or we need to like get a tap that runs from Bellingham to my house. Huh. You can just send me drinks <laughs> one at a time. If you pay for it, we'll do it. <laughs> we'll work on it. We'll start it. We'll start a, a Patreon or some sort of uh, GoFundMe <laughs> to start the beer tap from Bellingham. It's like a it's like a oil pipeline. Yeah, but probably more environmentally friendly. Yeah, for sure. Where is it? Um, what is the t- what am I thinking of? It might be in Belgium or somewhere. It is in Belgium. Uh, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Where they have the town wired up with, or not yeah. wired up, but you know, they have the the pipes going from the brewery. Yeah, my my buddy's been there and take pictures of it. That they have a a whole piping system underneath the town from the brewery to uh, all the places filled with beer. Amazing. It's it's the Willy Wonka dream of of breweries. Yeah, I don't know why every town does just doesn't have that. But you'd think within a little radius, you know, like yeah. if you're if you're a bar nearby, 
the Rainier Brewery in Seattle, you should have a you should have the opportunity to have a, a direct tap into the <laughs> the freshest beer straight from the bright tank. I like it. I think we're doing this thing now where we know we don't want to talk about the game, so we are <sighs> flopping about other things other than the game. Do we pull the Maybe. pull the bandaid off? Is this time to pull the? Oh no, there's one more thing before we pull the bandaid off. You you can't forget about your own segment. I know. I, <laughs> but I I think it's going to be a tough question, okay. which is all I could think about was the loss. This you know <laughs> this last wa- loss. So my question to you is. Do you feel better after you lose and it's a close game or a blowout? And hear me out for a second, which is that with a blowout, at least at a certain point, you just like kind of give up on the game. You don't have that hope. Whereas if it's a close loss and you lose, you always have that like uh, mental thought that you could have done something different and it would have gone better. Or like there's like one play that would have changed the game. So how do you feel after a loss? Do you like, do you prefer a blowout or do you prefer a uh, close game? It is, hmm. As far as losses go, I guess I, the ones that you're, the ones that are close hurt more to me because you feel like it was in your grasp mm-hmm. or like if, if, if one or two things would have gone differently, um, it could have changed the outcome, you know, but in, like in this case, when you're you're not even close, you can't even put a goal in. It's uh, it's somewhat more palatable. It's like we just we weren't in it, and so it's hard to. I guess it, overall, it feels equally as as crummy in some ways. But the uh, uh, yeah, the close ones they 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 do get to me a little bit more because I just feel like it's it's. When it's right there, when when it's close and and doesn't come together, that that does that bugs me a little bit because you just you just feel like it it could have could have been there for you, but the the ones you get blown out, yeah, it's it's a little more palatable. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, it, it was an interesting question because, like, I was just thinking about it as if. Yeah, getting getting blown out. I am like, there's a certain point where I just shut off my mind and don't think about it anymore. Whereas, like, if it's a two one, three two, there's always that like you know missed moment that there's always that close game or close call that could uh, change the game. And so, I don't know. In some ways, obviously, if it was blowout every week, I think that'd have a different tune. But like every once in a while. Having a blowout, I think I feel better about it than a close loss. Yeah, it kind of depends on the opponent. Okay. Like, I hate getting blown out by Man City or something. Like, I just, uh, that, that sucks. Um, but come, like, if, if it's, I guess I'd, I'd feel okay about a close loss to a Man City than a blowout, you know? I mean, I think I'm the opposite, whereas, like, at least Man City, like, I mean, let's be real. I acknowledge that they are, at this moment, a better team than us. So, like, yeah, blow us out. Uh-huh. Like, whereas if I get blown out by a, a team that I feel like we should be able to beat, that is harder for me to actually uh, justify. 
Either way, losing sucks. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. <laughs> That's what it comes down I to. I tried to think of a positive question and just like I wasn't in a positive mindset. So <laughs> that's the question we get. <laughs> well, let's let's ride that wave a little further here. Um, and just, like you said, rip the Band-Aid off because... This one, this one hurts in so many ways because it's not just the loss; it's it's the loss of of people as well, which I think we all were a little afraid of as we went into this, the second part of this season that this was going to come back to to bite us at some point. Um, <laughs> and I feel like whether it was a conversation we had or maybe it was an, on another podcast I was listening to, but. Um, when it comes to players that we could not possibly stand to lose, I think it, it was it was party and tyranny who was like top of the list. And uh, here we are. So I huh, I don't I don't know where do we where do we begin with this? I I don't even really want to rehash every little uh, play. Yeah, but it 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 just from the get-go did not feel like we were in this one. No, I mean, there were points where we did feel like we were in it, but I, yeah, let's, uh, I mean, starting with the lineup, uh, what'd you think of the lineup? I was very nervous seeing no Tommy Hossie, no tyranny. I know that is not a surprise, but that's always worrying to me when you start a, a lineup like that. Yeah, the tyranny news was not great. Um, I was glad to see Ramsdale come back, uh, but we still we still don't know what's going on with Tommy Asu. I mean, he is he is supposedly another couple games away from coming back. I don't know if having more injuries on the team changes that timeline. I don't think they would rush him back, but man, we could sure use him, and it was evident in this game when you don't have your best uh your best backs available it's uh it's it's a bit of a blow i mean though no amount of uh good center back play can really make up for having your second best uh outside backs available it just did not come together as far as um Trying to trying to meet that level that we usually would expect from our back four. Yeah, and just like I mean, not to get too far out of ourselves, but uh, just like that entire game, our our right side, their left side, it was just attack after attack after attack on that side, and there's just no no solution. Zaha was running rampant on that that side, and mm-hmm. it was. It was difficult to watch because you could just see that they couldn't, that Arsenal couldn't stop it down that side. And, you know, I don't know if it's tactics or, or what, but it, it just was not working. Yeah. I, and I think we have to talk about Tavares a little bit specifically because once again, I mean, we haven't seen him that much, but. He, you know, I think throughout the first half of the game, everybody was was going, what, what happened to the guy that was displacing Tierney at one point, you know, that we thought he could he could make a, 
a, a run at, at being the starter. You know, I think at, at some point everybody thought he was uh, just a really solid signing, and then the last couple times he's come out and been pulled the second in the second half of the game. And you know, Arteta will always tell you it's tactical, but you know, it's tactical because you have to figure out how to change your <laughs> tactics to avoid leaking goals. And that's that that first step was taking off Tavares. And he was involved in some to some degree in the first couple goals. And I I don't know if it's a men a, a mentality thing. I, I don't know if he switches off, if he's getting caught out of position. But it's not it's not coming together for him in these short cameos that we've seen. And I don't know if it's that he is a type of player that is uh, low on confidence, if he is the type of player that needs a bit more of a rhythm, like he needs to have a couple games under his belt before he kind of hits his, his full stride. But it's hard to envision Arteta having a lot of trust in him right now because he he seems to just get caught out and and I don't know sort of Arsenal well we're going to have to talk about this in a bit like but restructuring the the way that we line up to accommodate for what Tavares's strengths are or weaknesses are um I'm not sure how we move ahead without Tierney uh and having Tier, uh, Tavares take his place cuz it just doesn't look like it's clicking the way it was earlier in the season. I mean, yeah, and I think that's the worrying thing is that we're going to have to make it work, <laughs> to be honest, and we have some uh, difficult games coming up. I, mean, I think there's a, you know, kind of a run of a, you know, winnable games, but we, we, we really do have to figure this out with life without Tomiyasu or, or Tyranny, and so I don't I don't know the good solution to this because it's not like we have a deep squad. It's not like we have deep backups or anyone that could take either of their spots. So we have to to make this work till the rest of the there till the end of the season. Yeah, and I I don't. It obviously was not just Tavares in this game. I thought um, there there wasn't very many people. Like there was moments. But overall, I thought everybody played well below their le- their expected level. I thought Odegaard had less than ideal game, even though he had chances and opportunities. I, I thought their you know party was way off his game, and and a lot of it was just down to the little things. It was bad touches, bad passes. It it was. I don't know if that I, I'm trying to remember back to like the first 15 minutes, like if that was something that switched after Palace scored or if it was bad the whole way through. But it did really just jump out at me how poor they looked when it came to just controlling the ball and, and stringing passes together. And it, granted, they did have a better second half, but they were playing two goals down and, you know, I think they were able to kind of um, compose themselves a little bit better, but it never really 
came together in a consistently threatening way. There was just moments here and there. And I think Arteta was saying like, you can't, um, you can't play that way and expect to, to get, to get back into games. And I, 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 I don't know that we ever felt really threatening. Like as far as the, uh, the energy it was just not there in comparison to the way Palace came out and really disrupted what we normally do. Had They were the first to every ball, it seemed like, and even when we were able to get the ball, it didn't feel like we were able to control it and move it forward in a meaningful way. So it wasn't just Tavares. It was, it was really a whole team uh, kind of falling apart, and I, I don't know if that's down to us or you know we do have a Arsenal have historically at least in recent years been kind of bad coming out of international breaks but I also kind of you got it you got to hand it to to Vieira and Crystal Palace for really figuring out how to disrupt what works for us normally yeah I mean I think you know you should always give uh, credit to Crystal Palace I think they played a great game I think we had a good first like 10, 15 minutes. I, I, I wish I would have uh, marked on my, uh, my notes when we really felt like we changed, but we had a, a decent start to the game. I think one of the other players that I really want to call out, and I don't know if it's his fault or, or what's going on, but Smith Rowe, he was just not involved in the game at all. I, I, I made a comment, I think right around halftime, of I don't think he touched the ball for the first half. And I don't know if that's a distribution or if that's a him thing, but that's not ideal when one of your most creative players that you depend on is not involved in the game at all. He did have a couple shots on goal, but they were pretty, pretty tame. And I don't know if it was just kind of, he, I think a, at least for one of them, he was kind of maybe surprised that the ball ended up at his feet and just had to kind of figure out how to shoot in a, in a quick quick fashion and it didn't quite come off. But it didn't feel like he was ever that threatening. Um, but really, when it comes to being invisible in this game, I thought Lacazette was way worse <laughs> than Emile smith was. I mean, I would disagree, at least. I, I think Lacazette actually had like a couple touches that were bad and things but like for me like it was smith Rowe was just not there and i don't maybe that's an interesting discussion about would would you rather have a player have bad touches or just not touch the ball at all well if if we're talking about lacazette i would i i need some more <laughs> i gotta i gotta say like as far as when we're when we're losing games three zero um and historically we've been getting goals from our midfield i'm still looking for lacazette like i'm still waiting for him to step up so i don't know when that's gonna happen like it's he's got he's got to contribute as far as (laughs) if it's if the game's not coming together and you're not able to set other guys up and you're not able to score i i feel like i'm i'm in these are the games when you really need that leadership too i felt like a lot of you know, when you don't have party available because he gets injured and, you know, like things are kind of unraveling. I'm looking to Lacazette to kind of pick this team up. And I never felt like they were able to really rally 
and and get their mentality back. And I, I think when you have a young team, there's a lot riding on on players like Lagazette and Party and Jaka to to some degree as well to get this team focused and, and working in the same direction again. And I, I never felt like the, it, it felt like it was it was never quite as focused or on track as it needed to be, especially um, in the second part of that first half. I mean, I, I think uh, I will doff my cap to, uh, to Jaka. I think Jaka was trying to show that leadership. He, he definitely got his traditional yellow card. And I think he was <laughs> he was uh, at least trying to get stuck in. I get what you're saying about Lacazette. But to a certain extent, I think is that a Lacazette failing, or is that an expectation on us failing? I, I think this game is a perfect example of we reaping what we sow with what we did in the uh, the winter transfer window, which is that we are a very thin squad. We are a squad that didn't reinforce in strikers specifically, and are relying on two strikers that don't score goals and Lacazette hasn't really been scoring goal and Kedia hasn't been scoring goals. So I don't know, like <laughs> I, I, I have a hard time kind of placing that on the players plate to a certain extent and more that's the gamble that our front office made. And this is a game in which that gamble completely failed. But at some point, you have to expect the players that you do have to step up. I mean, like I, I get that they could have gone out and signed people, but it, it you don't you don't want to make a poor signing just to try to offset a player like Lacazette that should be well, doing mean, but, more. But I, what, I mean, what 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 made makes you think prior to that window that he was going to step up? I mean, I don't mean to be a jerk. I think there's a lot of things that Lacazette does, but he hasn't been scoring, and he has. But I guess it, it it's not like it, it on top of not scoring in this game, he was not like pulling the team together. He was not really involved in the build up. He was kind of just invisible. So this is the type of game where you need if if he's not going to score, you need him to facilitate. If he's not going to facilitate other players scoring, then he at least needs to step up and be the leader that gets everybody everybody kind of working in the same direction. I just feel like he, he was not doing anything to help this team. And I feel like that if, if you're no matter what the front office did, you still need the players that you have to step up. And I'm not saying he's the only one, but I just feel like there's a gaping leadership hole and this is where your captain needs to step in and do something. And especially when you, you know, you go down, um, in the 16th minute and then let a second goal in in the 24th minute that's when you need your captain to step in and, and kind of right the ship a little bit and i you know we we, we complained about uh Aubameyang kind of not being that kind of leader i kind of expected a bit more from lacazette and i don't know that and it's not all on him i'm saying like party and and jaka are in the same boat with him we have a young team you know, you we these these sorts of situations are going to come up where we are, are you know need that experience to kind of fill the gaps when when all of the young players are kind of on their heels and trying to figure out how to move forward. You kind of need those guys to step up and say, "Hey, we could do this." And I didn't really. I mean, get that I, sense. I, I not to completely nitpick, but I don't think you can paint Jaka in the same brush that you can. Party in Lacazette because at the end of the day, I saw Jaka 
actually stepping up, taking those leadership roles, you know, taking that like unofficial captaincy. And I know there's, you know, difficulty with him as a, <laughs> as a captain, but I, th- I, I saw him stepping up when I watched the game personally. And I, 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 I see what you're I saying, think, but I think you can all like, I, I would actually, we, we've had this conversation. We had this question for multiple times from our uh, listeners, which is like, who's the next captain? Because like, let's be real. Lacazette's probably not going to be here next, next season. And so you're looking at like the Odegaards and I think you're looking at the parties and you're looking at some of these players, maybe even Ben White, these players that are like, we're talking about being the next captain and they did definitely not step up either. Yeah, I think that it, nobody, nobody was really able to fix that on the mentality side. But I do, I will say that they came out and looked better in the second half. There was an improvement there, but that's more of a kind of a general regrouping that you would expect from, from Arteta or whatever uh, they're able to do at halftime. But the, I, I, I just think that there's, especially with Lacazette being where he is on the field, doing what he need, what he's expected to do. I just didn't, I felt like that was a, a bit of a void in this game. And, uh, it, it is a bit disappointing to have so much riding on a striker that doesn't score. <laughs> that's, that's the real frustration for me is that we're, uh, no matter what's going on in the rest of the field, you still need, you need a place that you can consistently get goals from. And that is the far, we're very far away from consistency yeah. as far as that goes. But I mean, um, the, the midfield has been all, all right as a collective, but we don't have an individual that has really stepped up to, to I mean, fill I that mean, those void. individuals are uh, our midfield players. I, 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 again, I, I, I mean, it goes back to one of my favorite, like, uh, uh, parables which is the scorpion and the frog and the you know like the scorpion rides the frog across the lake and it stings the, the uh, frog and the frog and the scorpion drowns and the frog gets mad because it's like why'd you sting you and the scorpion says like you know what'd you expect and i feel that with lacazette at this point it's like did you he, i i don't expect lacazette to score when he does i feel like it's a a very quick bonus but like you like i Again, I, I go back to the, the the winter transfer window when we did not reinforce the striker position and quite the opposite, we weakened the striker core. And what do you expect when you know that it's a problem and it's still not, you don't do anything to fix the problem. And yeah, our strikers don't score goals. Like, like I, I can't be, I have expectations in reality. And when your reality is that your strikers don't score goals, how can you be mad that they don't score goals? I guess, I guess my, my argument is more that Lacazette didn't do anything in this game, not even just not scoring goals, which Mm -hmm. I kind of expect, but like not facilitating the players around him, not really being a visible leader I just feel like there's, you, you cannot have a player that is taking up such an important position not doing anything in this sort of game, and I like, I, it's not to say that he's not trying. I know that he gives as much effort as you can possibly give, but I I just feel like at some point we have to say this might not be working, 
we need to try something else, whether that's Martinelli up front, uh, giving Enkedia a run of games, because he, he came a lot closer to scoring than, than Lacazette ever did. I mean, at least Enkedia hit the post. But like it's, it's just like it, we have to mix things up, and now we're definitely going to have to mix things up because of the, uh, the loss of party in this game. And obviously with Tierney being out, for the rest of this season, that is going to be um, the recipe for for some change, and also maybe the fact that Crystal Palace kind of showed how to how to beat this team pretty soundly. Um, you know, things are going to have to change. I guess like the question is: is it going to uh, is it is it going to require? A, Lacazette staying in out of necessity because we've lost some important players or do, should we just go back to the drawing board and, and really figure out how to um, really reinvent this this lineup a I mean, bit more? To be honest, I think it's too late to go back to the drawing board. Like, I Well, we have to. Don't you think we have to kind of figure out how to move forward without two key players? I mean, I, that I feel like you have to kind of look at this lineup and go, okay, how are we going to Move ahead. I mean, like I just go back to like this is a thin squad. This is exactly the deal that we made with the devil. That you know, we 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 have a thin squad. We were uh, just set up for this, and the idea was that hopefully that like no one gets injured and hopefully no one goes out of form. But we're at this point, and I, I like. I, I don't mean to be very Debbie Downer about it, but I don't know what we do up top. I literally don't know what we do up top because we don't have a lot of options. Maybe Martinelli, but it's not like Martinelli has shown when he's been in a striker position that he's been much better than either of Nkadier or Lacazette. I could see... A, well, there's so many different scenarios that we could we could use to try to get through this the rest of this season. I, it's it's tough to know, um, you know. Maybe we do have a question about this later a little bit, um, but yeah, it's it it, it is probably the biggest storyline going into the the next game is how does how does this team line up? How do we figure out how to get out of this? But I, I do think it cha- the the scenario changes a lot if you can get a, get Tomiyasu back. Um, and also, if you can, if you can get a, a good run of games out of Tavares or even Lukonga, or you know, like if if some of these uh, other players are available or can step up and really show their their value, um, it might not be so bad. But it it, it is uh, trying to patch some pretty big holes. It, it's going to be difficult, especially without a lot of depth to to draw upon. Definitely. Uh, I don't know how much we want to talk about the ga- this game, but I had one other thing I did not put in the Runyon order. So I'm going to throw it out to you, which is, what do you think about the two penalty situations? Um, as far as the one that was, uh, the one that was given, given and the one that was not given. So there was about... Oh, with the yes. the one with Saka, is that the, the other one? I'm trying to remember how that looked. It was kind of just it was a coming, a coming together of players. It was a coming together player. It was a, a, for the Saka one. 
uh, player, I forget the, uh, the, uh, palace player, but just had his hand in the back and pushed him down with a hand in the back, which uh-huh. I remember commenting at the time on our discord, which if you want to talk about these things, let's go, uh, join our discord live and, uh, enjoy it. But, uh, I said at the time, that's a foul that I can see not given, but is a call that we get called all the time against us. And then within 10 minutes, yeah. I felt that the penalty that was given against us was a fairly soft in that same, like, uh, I don't know, conversation that if, if, if you're not giving the one against soccer, which was like a push against the back pushes down the player in the box, it would be a foul outside of the box you know, all the time. And then you have the, uh, the, uh, the foul the penalty that was given against us. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't understand the consistency of it, but maybe I'm just have my Arsenal glasses on. I think when you're comparing the two, uh, you know, in this, in this game, you know, the, um, the words clear and obvious are going to be what get thrown around the most. But, you know, when you're looking at that, that soccer play, the two players coming together, there was no, to me, it was, the push wasn't so obvious that you could go back and, and overturn it with VAR. And looking at the Odegaard play, the fact that he just kicked his, kicked his heel out from under him without really being near the ball, it wasn't really a coming together of players that were battling for position on a ball. Whereas like the Saka play was at least you could make the argument that they were both going for the ball. You know, I, I see what you're saying and that, that it, that we've had that called against us and that it's, it's pretty, um, it's, it's not something that Arsenal is going to get called for us, especially away from home. Um, but yeah, the, the one that got called against Odegaard was, was pretty obvious to me. And I don't think you can, um, really compare the two as far as one being overt versus the other. It it just, I I mean, I can, I always go back to the, uh, David Louise ghost foul of like two players that just bump into each other. And all of a sudden it's a penalty. Um, because you know, at least, at least with this, with this scenario, you know, when they're, when you're, kind of running at speed and you and you kind of get tangled up a little bit that makes sense when you're kind of closer together the one with louise like (laughs) it was like a a breeze knocked him over like there was just nothing that really could could indicate that louise was was trying to make a foul was even accidentally make you know it was just so minute um, so it's hard to compare that to this one, but you know, that's the kind of stuff that gets called against well, I mean, us. I, I think that's us. the point. And like, I, I've seen plenty of the Odegaard penalty not get called for us. And I like, and again, like, mm-hmm. I'm not trying, like, I'm not a conspiracy monger. I don't, I'm not trying to like say that there's some evil cabal against Arsenal, but it does feel like marginal penalties don't get called for us and get called against us all the time. And I'm, I'm, I know we, uh, talked to, uh, uh, several people on the show about it and like, it just, I don't know. I, I, I'm just getting frustrated with penalties at this point <laughs> and I don't know 
what you can say or do about it. Now we have no no recourse. The only thing that's really going to change that situation is if they change the approach or change the referees. And so we might just have to wait for them all to retire. Yeah. I mean, that being said, it's a, a, a thing I always say is if you can't score a goal, it doesn't matter if you get penalties called it for or against you. Like we didn't score in general. So I, you can't be too mad about random calls. Yeah. So outside of the, the two significant injuries that are going to haunt this team now, do you feel like this is a moment of panic as far as the remainder of the team that is available and where they're at men- mentally and how this game played out? Or do you feel like this is, this is a blip, this is going to happen, and, and this team will bounce back? Yeah, I mean, in the larger scale, I'm not panicked. I'm not, I'm not worried. We're, to be honest, even this far in the season, we've exceeded expectations for where I thought we would be. I'm not too worried. I feel like the core of the team and where this team is going is good. I, I am worried about our back situation, not our center backs, but our uh, left and right back situation. That's, I don't think that's Mm -hmm. ideal. And the fact that we don't have any strikers that can score is not ideal. Uh, as far as a team that can get through the rest of the season and hit some of our goals, or at least be semi-competitive, I'm 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 not too worried about it. I don't think this is necessary. Where you like say this is a team in crisis. This is you know first game off of a uh, a. Uh, a uh, international break. I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm not too worried. I think there's some concerning things, but I'm not at panic stations yet. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm trying to brush this one off. Uh, you know, if you're taking taking it one game at a time, you know that you have to you have to kind of just take these games in stride and, and, and let them roll off your back and, and move on to the next one. And I think this team is, is very capable of regrouping and, and finding their form again. Uh, and I do think we still have good quality players. It's not like this team is fundamentally, fundamentally broken. Um, I, there, there is some concern in my mind about how we move ahead without party, because I do think he is a big piece to, to making this team tick uh, even more so than like having uh, Tavares playing I think losing party is is a huge huge uh, blow to this team so um, whereas like I think Tavares can play his way into form I don't know I don't know that the Conga can just suddenly be party I don't know that Lukonga with Xhaka can can do what Party does, uh, and I, I think Xhaka is going to have to kind of f- either fill in at left back or be a shield to allow Tavares to be further forward and not have as many defensive responsibilities. So that does put a lot of weight on Lukonga in my mind to suddenly fill in a big gaping hole in the middle of the park. So. 
Uh, I have concerns, but if if everything went as planned, if every everybody played to their potential, this team can still be very competitive. It's just when you have these games where nobody looks up to their their even close to playing to their potential, it's really hard to envision how it's all going to come together. But I think this this we as fans, uh, the team itself, we have to just set it aside, not put too much weight into the three goals that were scored against us, and go to Brighton and try to have as much of a clean slate as we can, and 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 take that game as a as the next one off game, and and try to get as many points as we can going forward, and not not get too mired in in the defeats that are going to happen along. I'm going to throw. Uh... Yeah, that question on the that you asked on the other side, which is, were there any positives out of this game? Could you think of anything good that was out of this game? I thought Lakonga came in and looked better than he's looked in a while. Um, so that's a positive. Um, yeah, it's hard. Ramsdale coming back is a positive. But... Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I have a hard time finding a lot to to be excited about out of that one. But it just, like I said, was a game where nobody really looked good. And when this, uh, when that happens, you, it, it's, it's not necessarily something that's going to be a trend. It's just something that sometimes, sometimes happens with Arsenal. You know, we're not. We're not uh, totally out of those woods yet. It's nice that that isn't happening happening as often, but you know that this team is capable of kind of just falling yeah, off I a mean, cliff once also, in a while. Also, you have to understand that they, this is still a primarily young squad, and as I've said mm-hmm. a million times before on this podcast, and I should make a t-shirt about it for this podcast, young players are inconsistent, and that's the, the, the sign of a yeah. young player. So hopefully... This is one of those just inconsistent games. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that this there's there's room for improvement, and I think they're all capable of better, and that's the important thing is that I, we're, um, we've been in positions where we have players like Mustafi that we're relying heavily on, and you know when they have a bad game, that's kind of the best mm-hmm. that they're going to give you. You know, like you, you don't have room for improvement. They're not going to come back and give you better because they aren't capable of it. This team is capable of better and will. We haven't seen the best yet, so I think there's um, other levels to get to on on an individual level and on a team level. So. I'm not really as worried as I would be when we're relying on players that we have relied on players that you just kind of know that you're seeing the best that they have and it's not good enough. So we've already moved beyond that. And I think that gives me a little bit more hope than I would normally feel. This is going to sound horrible. I completely forgot about Mustafi. I forgot that he was a player in Arsenal. (laughs) You're, You're better for it, you know? It's best not to dwell in those dark reaches of uh, Arsenal's past. I mean, uh, do, what do you what do you think about going into Brighton? Though I mean, we we have uh, an opportunity with a fairly short turnaround to to 
correct things, but that can also work against you because, you know, we kind of need some, maybe, uh, yeah, I, I would hope Tommy Asu's close, but maybe he's, it, it sounds like he's possibly still a couple games away, but, you know, I, I think sometimes it's good to get back into, back into things quickly and, and try to fix fix things and, and get, get into a better mental place as soon as yeah, possible. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, again, I would have, I mean, I did say this about a Palace, which is that a Brighton's a winnable game. I think uh, we're at home. It should be an achievable goal. You know, Brighton has its bright spots. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, they're not an easy team. No team in, in the Premier League is easy. But I think this is the perfect team to try and bounce back from. And I, I think with Brighton, and I may eat my words at this point, but like they don't have a player like Zaha. They don't have like a exceptional player in the same way. So I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that we can get something. We, we, we should be able to get three points out of this game. I'm, I'm saying I, I try not, I try and hedge my bets when I, when I talk about that, but like it definitely is a, a game that uh, we should be winning. And I'm hopeful that we can show the better side of Arsenal as opposed to the bad side of Arsenal, which is what we saw the last game. Yeah. I think this is a great opportunity to find, find some form again and, put the palace game behind us. So I think that the team, the team will take advantage and, and try to show their best. And like I said, the the biggest storyline is going to be how this team lines up and how, how they move forward with, with the personnel that's available. I'm going to throw out a fun little question. Do you think, uh, should be getting starts over Lacazette at this point? That's tough. Um, if if only, well, I was gonna say if only to get keep keep Lacazette's legs fresh, but he's coming off an international yeah. break where he didn't do anything, so I don't know that that's really a concern. Um, it, it's, I think it's 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 a it's a good idea to make sure that players understand that they're they're not locked into their position and even a captain should feel vulnerable at times because you you without that pressure without that competition for for places um it's easy to get complacent and i i, I feel like that is you could say that about a couple players in this game that they seemed a little complacent and i think lacazette would be that um you have to be hungry to score and when you see Enkedia come in, he's trying some stuff. I mean, he hit the po- he he almost had a worldie. I mean, it, it was pretty close. Uh, but I think he's also a player that could could use some more minutes. More minutes can possibly be a benefit to him in getting some form. So I I, I wouldn't mind some rotation in a game like uh, against Brighton. But with uh, when it com- when push comes to shove, you do need the leadership that Lacazette does bring, like it may have not have been very visible to me in this, in this palace game, but 
I do think he's an important piece. And so um, I might let Nketiah have a game like Brighton, but I think ultimately I think Lacazette's the guy you still want to be in the starting lineup as far as yeah, as far as the best 11. And like, I am not an Nketiah apologist. Like I just, I mean, I don't, I don't rate him at this point, but like, I just feel like, yeah, there might need to be a little bit of a shakeup. There might be, and considering we only have two strikers really on the team, you should probably at least try and shake it up. And, you know, Brighton's a more likely prospect to get someone on form than if we were starting against Man City or something like that. Yeah, totally. Well, um, I think we should take a, a little quick break here and uh, come back with a couple questions. Thanks. So uh, let's let's do that, and we'll we'll be right back. Welcome back from the break. We've got a couple questions for you this week. Uh, first one comes from Josh Lee. Hey, Josh. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts if budget is there, how Jude Bellingham would fit in the new Jaka role. I think his style would be an ideal fit for our tennis system and outside the cost, the profile we are after. Hi, Josh, as well. Uh I think that's an interesting question. I love Jude Bellingham is my going to be my first answer to that. I, you know, I do follow Dortmund as a uh, team in the Bundesliga, but I don't see him as a Jacques replacement necessarily. From what I understand, Jude, Jude Bellingham usually plays on the wings and is more, you know, uh, in that uh, more attacking uh, centric player. I I think a combination of party with Bellingham in the center would be very interesting. I think you'd have to put party as someone who like steps back more. Cause it, you know, with Jacques, Jacques is the one that usually steps back and uh, plays more defensive role. Whereas Jude Bellingham doesn't have that or not to say he doesn't have that ability, but I don't think that's his strength necessarily, but a, a party Bellingham role, I think would be a, a good fit. And I think as far as like the profile of a player that Arsenal should be going for and could probably get, I think that's a great shout. You think they'd drop 80 million plus on him? I mean, it, it depends on the Kroenke wallet, right? I, I, I think he is this profile of a player that we could get and we should be getting, I don't know what our budget's going to look like if we're we we are going to need a replacement or a, not even a replacement but just a a player in that area come the off season i think that's an easy upgrade but yeah i don't i don't i don't know if we can afford him but that's a that's a, a different question yeah i look at that price tag and i'm like maybe that's not how much we should be spending on that position unless the purse is wide open and we're just going crazy but I'd rather spend that amount of money on a striker than an 18 year old central midfielder. I mean, I, th- I think, uh, 
the the reply would be that like it's going to be way more than eighty million dollars to like oh yeah the 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 bang for buck you get from Bellingham at eighty million than what you would put in eighty million on a striker is going to be much larger. But I think I think and from what I've seen in of him in the Bundesliga, I think Bellingham is the real deal. Not just because his name is Bellingham and I live in Bellingham, but. Uh, <laughs> But I think he's the the actual real deal. I think when you start talking about strikers, I think that's a a, a whole separate conversation because I think you're going to have to have a whole separate budget, and eighty million is going to be cheap for a striker. Because you're not getting Isaac for or Isak for uh, uh, eighty million. No, but that's a big chunk of your. I I, I just don't see him spending that much and then also getting two strikers you know that's i i just feel like if if you do have realistic expectations of what they're going to spend in the next window that that's going to be mostly going to the striker position and then hopefully you have some left over to get a decent uh midfielder as well but i i just have a hard time seeing them going 80 80 million on a midfielder and then that you know, hundred million on a, a striker, and then another thirty to forty million on a second striker. I, I just that's that's a lot of money. I mean, we we barely we we spent we we didn't even hit that amount of money, and and got six players in in the last window. So it's or in last summer. So it's it's hard to hard to wrap my head around that, especially when we we have many many needs to to rebuild this team i mean it's it's we 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 got started but i still think there's there's more depth there's more uh improvements that need to happen especially if we do end up getting a champions league spot we're going to have to really build build up the depth and that's going to co- cost us i mean you say i mean we do have many needs but i think a if you're looking at replacements and what we need to do, having a striker replacement is obviously number one and that's number one priority, but having a Jaka replacement and a Jaka upgrade specifically is number two priority, at least in my mind, like, you know, how many times have we talked about like the, the, the fact that like one of the, uh, the things holding us back is that our, our second best midfielder is Zaka, which, you know, I don't, I don't mean to talk trash about Zaka, but I, uh, I think that's an easy spot for upgrade. Whereas a lot of the other positions we're talking about putting in depth, like, you know, left and right back, we need depth position, not replacements. We don't need a replacement goalkeeper anymore. We don't need replacement center backs. Yeah, and I, I, I think it, if, if I, I'm just thinking if you're looking at building the team up as a whole, and you have a, a gaping hole in the in the striker position, and then a lot of smaller smaller holes to, holes to fill as far as depth goes. Um, I just feel like the the, I mean, we're, we're talking at eighty million probably is the the minimum it would cost to, to pry him away. Uh, so I, that that's, I, I just feel like that, that becomes less palatable as far as where, where they want to spend their money. It's it. Yes. He's going to be a great player. He is a great player. 
and the age profile is correct, I just feel like there it's going to be it's going to be tough, especially the the competition for his signature as well. And you know, there's always going to be uh, English teams that are looking to bring in English players, and so I could see a, a United being in that conversation as well as as a couple other teams. Yeah, I mean, but I think uh, I would disagree with the fact that that that's a depth position to fill. I think that's as a, a whole is that center mid midfield. I think you have a hole in striker, and obviously, I think all of us would agree. Everyone listening to this and me and you would agree that the striker is the biggest hole, and that's where we should splash the most cash. But I don't think uh, filling in another center midfield at this point is a depth fill-in. I think it is very specifically filling a hole and an upgrade as opposed to other positions on the field. I'm not because saying wingers. I'm not saying it's a depth thing. I'm saying it's just it, it because you have to build depth as well as finding a midfielder. I just feel like you're going to put majority of your money in that striker position. You're probably your second biggest spend is going to be your midfielder position. But you're also going to have to have some money left over to build depth in other positions if you're going to make a realistic run at Champions League, assuming they get there, or Europa League or wherever they end up. You have to build that depth up. So you can't you can't expect that they're going to have 180, you know, 200 million spent on striker and midfielder and then still have money left over for for building up that depth. So I'm just trying to be realistic that I think uh, uh, as great as Jude Bellingham would be for the team, I just have a hard time seeing them spending their money that way in 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 the short term and and when there's so much that has to be done. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it really it does depend on the Champions League because you 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 mentioned it almost as a, a negative of like building up depth for Champions League. But the nice thing about being in Champions League is you do get that that pop of cash you get a little bit more money coming in so i think this is definitely a, a signing that would be dependent on us actually making fourth place which is not you know anywhere near set in stone no no we've got a ways to go and i think yeah that's definitely true we would have to that would be a condition to signing a player of that quality um but man, wouldn't that be nice if we could actually get that sort of draw? Yeah. One can hope. I don't want to. I, I don't even want to think about that. We got to get things back on track before we can get on the the Champions League train again. So <laughs> we've got we've got a we got a ways to go. Nine games left. Got some work to do, and uh, you know we got to we got to prove that we we we're, we're deserving of that fourth place or or beyond. So we'll see how, how that goes. Well, speaking of getting back on track and, uh, the fourth place and all that, uh, Drunkaroo asks who replaces party on Sunday and what are the chances we switch to a back three and bring in holding? Uh, yeah, this goes back to, uh, if we really put, where do we put Jaka? Zaka's kind of the the swing piece, I think, as far as how this team moves forward. Because you don't you don't necessarily have to go to a true true back three. You don't have to bring in holding um, necessarily because you do have a back three if you're 
playing Xhaka in a similar position as he did um, at times this season and last season, where he was kind of the third, the third, ba- the third back that would, um, you know, instead of moving forward like he has been with Party involved, you know, he's been kind of playing in that left channel a little bit further ahead of Party. Uh, he th- he tucks back and and provides coverage for whoever's playing that left back position. So perhaps we do uh, continue with Tavares. I think at least this weekend, it might make sense to give him an opportunity to try to fix some things, to try to get his, his confidence back a little bit. And it might be an opportunity for Arteta to, to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to put some faith in you. Let's see if you can do what needs to be done. Because I do think there's some quality and some skill there, but it mostly lies in the opposition's third, final third. You know, it's he's, he's more of an offensive sort of back than uh, a strong defender, obviously, from the way he, he's been a little bit of a... Uh, a suspect when it comes to, to, to defending, but I think if you set up correctly, you can use his skill set to your advantage. And I think when we're lacking goals, when we're lacking production, when when we're losing tyranny and what he brings, there is something to trying to leverage the the players that we do have and what their skill sets are. Um I I don't think Jaka is doing that much going forward that we we're going to lose or, or miss having him do it, playing that role. Um, so if he had to tuck back in I and, and kind of cover in the left back position, I wouldn't mind that. But I think you got to have a Tavares or somebody that's pushing forward and creating some, um, some offense down that left-hand side. And so I, I kind of see us doing that with uh, Lakonga brought into to that midfield, and I think that's going to be um, what Arteta does because it doesn't blow up the team. It's kind of just something that we've we've done before, so it's not going to be something we have to um, totally change the formation for. I think going to a, a true back three with holding in the game would be. Uh, kind of radical at this point when Arteta's been very consistent in the way that he wants to play. And I think just having Xhaka slide back is is closer to what we've been doing than than going to a, a true back three. So the way yeah. that Arteta's been pragmatic, I kind of see that he's he's probably going to do something like that. Yeah, I mean, you saw Xhaka slide back during the uh, last game. They put him back at uh, into a three-back system. Uh yeah, I think the the easy solution is you have a Jaka Lakanga midfield and you have kind of Jaka definitely playing a holding midfielder and Lakanga being more of a creative midfielder going forward. I don't know how it's going to work necessarily. I'm, I'm I'm very curious to see it. I think it should be a, a an interesting game to watch that I, I could you see anything else outside of the box for that midfield position? You know, if you're the tough part is like, um, where, where are you willing to, to lose some depth? 
because the, you do have you have Pepe available, you have Emil Smith Rowe or Martinelli available, depending on how you line up. Um, but it's uh, you know, th- there's some definite areas where we're thin. So if you do if you do play Tavares in there, if you do play Xhaka in the midfield. Uh, maybe you try to, I don't know. I, 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 I've been trying to think through this and figure out what really gets the most out of this team. Um, and the most radical thing I was thinking of, like maybe you, you pull Lacazette and put Emile Smith Rowe in as a false nine who could kind of be that link up player in the middle and then you'd still be able to play Martinelli and Saka. That doesn't solve uh, the left back position. It doesn't solve <laughs> the midfield, but it does maybe provide some uh, some so a little bit of a tweak to to get us scoring some goals again. Um, but the, yeah, I, I don't really know if you can replace Party and, and Tierney without. Uh, losing something you know it, it is it is difficult to replace those guys that's why they're such important parts to the way we play normally uh i think we're going to be able to survive i think it's going to be okay but i'm i'm trying to be positive it's if we it, like i said it requires the players that we have the guy the second string guys to really step up and uh be the players that they have the potential to be and uh that that will also require some you know, confidence and a, a run of games to hopefully get some a, a little bit of of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just rhythm and and consistency. So once they find their form, I think it's definitely possible those these players can uh, fill fill in the gaps and get us through the rest of the season. But getting a player back like Tommy Asu would be huge. I, that that huge. to me is is the big, the big missing piece right now. So if we, if we can get him back, um, he's he's too he's really two footed. I could see him moving out to the left. If Cedric's been playing good enough on the right, where maybe Tommy Asu could take us take a swing at playing as the left back. But um, maybe that's the most radical <laughs> change that you can make in in trying to get some. Uh, Consistency and stability in that left back position would be to move Tomiyasu over there uh, once he's healthy again. What do you think? Uh, and I don't know how this would play out, but uh, putting uh, or Saka into the right back position. Yeah, I thought about that too. Um, it's it's crazy to think that he was playing in that position at one time. And that was how he really broke into the team, um, but now that he's play, he's he's one of our primary goal scorers and, and creators. I have a hard time seeing taking him out of that front line. Um, but if you're trying, it, you you do have some depth where you can put in Martinelli or Pepe, or you you, you do have some some players that could fill in that role. So. It's a possibility, but we've we've never really seen Arteta um, jump on that sort of change. So I I have a hard time believing he would he would make that he would pull Saka out of that position. Um, but 
gosh, he 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 was pretty decent at left back, wasn't he? I mean, Turner. Yeah. I think I think we were all pretty impressed with the way that he played. So it wouldn't be the end of the world. I think he would be he would fit in there pretty nicely. But you do you do lose a little bit of something um, down that right hand side without him there. And I don't think the Odegaard's going to match with everybody as well as he does with Saka at this point. I mean, because you could see a world then where if he's playing in a back position, you have Martinelli, Smithrow, Odegaard all on the pitch at the same time as well. Mm-hmm. And then you also have some, I mean, ideally interchanging positions, right? Whereas yeah. players could switch out positions and, and do that. But that's a, a FIFA football manager, Tim, not necessarily real world, Tim. Yeah, I was gonna say let's get real crazy. Put Pepe in there. Oh, take Lac- take Lacazette out. Put uh, Martinelli or Emil Smithrow up top. <laughs> let's just get nuts. Let's put all the put all the chips in. I mean, why not? To a certain extent. <laughs> I mean, like we joke about it, but why not? Like we don't have. I, mean, I guess we do have a ton to lose because it would be really nice to get that fourth spot. But like to a certain extent, we're already exceeding expectations so I don't know it might be interesting to see how these players could play in different positions I'd love to see something like that where you just try to get all your pieces on at once and see how it goes but uh, Arteta's pretty pretty conservative when it comes <laughs> down to it so I, I, I have a hard time seeing it but you know he was I think he he understood in 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 understands going forward that all these games are important so he's going to do what he has to do I don't think he's going to let points go if he can avoid it and that is very fair enough because we'd be on his case if he didn't so <laughs> yes alright should we call it a day if it's about that time yeah it's the same time every week I don't understand how we do it but we always do about an hour 20 every time yeah it's our internal clock it starts saying it's time to go to bed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you for joining us this week I know it's hard to hard when we lose to want to listen to podcast about a loss but you know we've got we got things to talk about we got things to, to figure out so glad you came with us to to feel a little catharsis uh, if you haven't done so go review subscribe give us some stars give us some words uh, about how you feel about the podcast wherever you're listening to this right now if you want to send us comments, send us questions, there's a few ways you can do that. One of them is Twitter. We are at W of N London. You can send us an email at westofnorthlondon at gmail.com. Voicemails can go to anchor.fm slash westofnorthlondon slash message. We have a Discord, which you can send us questions to or just come chat with us. Uh, that will be linked in the show notes. Our theme song is brought to you by a band called Bobcat. Go check them out at bobc.at. You can find their album and much more right there on their website. So that's it for us this week. And as always, see you at the next gun show.